Hi folks, welcome to Agency Unfiltered, the HubSpot Solutions Partner Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Dunn, and Agency Unfiltered is a weekly web series and podcast that interviews the owners, founders, and executives of agencies and services providers from around the world about whatever it takes to grow and scale. This week, we have on Sam Anderson, CEO and co-founder of Origin63, who joins the podcast to discuss her journey in becoming a technical consultant and a solutions partner that supports upmarket businesses with complex needs and use cases. So Sam walks us through the original pivot to technical consulting services and how the needs of upmarket businesses change and become more specialized. And as Sam mentions in the episode, the actual implementation of technology is only 50% of the engagement and change management is what truly ensures long-term success for her clients. So she explains her team's approach to change management and post-implementation support and how it's positively impacted Origin 63's bottom line and overall client experience. We wrap with her read on the perception that technical consulting requires a large team, how that may not be the case, and how it's operationalized for Origin 63. Change management, a big deal that I know is top of mind for many. So let's dive in with another episode of Agency Unfiltered. Agency Unfiltered. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, excited to get into the topic at hand here. Uh, technical consulting, right? I think it's top yeah. of mind, something that you and the team uh, uh, do especially well. But I think there's like another layer to it, maybe with some change management best practices and some strategies that I don't want to give away too much. We'll get there. Yeah. Uh, but before we get into the I don't know, meat and potatoes, if you will, where are you dialing in from? I'm in San Diego, California. Sounds beautiful. Mm-hmm. Always. Steady 70, just every day, living the dream. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a little dreary up here in Massachusetts. Uh, but if we can get to like 45, you know, I'm whipping, the shorts are out. We're bringing the shorts out. You know, we'll, yeah. we'll pretend it's San Diego, you know? Totally. Yeah. So maybe the best place to start uh, with Origin 63 and yourself, uh, were you always a technical consulting firm? Is this always the menu of services you brought? Uh, into the ecosystem? Uh, And if not, what drove the decision to make that pivot or make that move? You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, like most agencies, we got our start in inbound marketing and uh, back in 2015, actually. So we've been in a HubSpot partner for a really long time now. Um, But fast forward a few years, we had started to do lead generation with live event marketing and uh, and then COVID happened. And so eventually (laughs) that basically went away overnight. So the pandemic was really what made us decide we needed to pivot our business model. And that's when we started to look at technical consulting and really go hard into implementation services. And we left marketing completely behind. Mm. Yeah. Super interesting. Well, yeah, uh, probably uh, something a number of listeners or partners can empathize with uh, it's the the COVID disruption and what that means mm-hmm. for your service offerings, right? So uh, sounds like a response to obviously that uh, huge shift. Uh, you had mentioned yeah. moving away from marketing services into technical consulting, some like real you know uh, implementation 
uh, ask engagement. Uh, how would you define technical consulting? What does that mean if someone were to bring you in as a technical consultant? That is a great question. And I think that is something that the entire community is trying to define right now. Uh, how we defined technical consulting is really about the implementation of the software and focusing on the tools and the processes that power what people do with HubSpot. So not necessarily looking at the services that um, actually contextualize marketing and things like that, but really building out the back end software. I love that. It's uh, it's powering what people do. I think what you said with the software, right? Love exactly. That. Yeah. Love that. Exactly. Um, when you made the pivot to technical consulting and to offering some of these implementation services, did that change at all uh, the type of businesses that you were seeking to do work with? Uh, I'd be interested to learn more if you also had to make a change in that direction as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think this is another pattern that I've seen talking to other agency owners who've also made the shift. We found that we really actually needed to move up market to provide the biggest value with the types of services that we're, we are offering. So it was more about larger companies, bigger use cases, more complex tech stacks that really required our services and solutions to uh, be able to implement the software specific to what their team needs. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, I've gotten a sense there's definitely a hunger or an appetite for uh, uh, from partners seeking to move up market. I think that's a conversation throughout the, the, the ecosystem around HubSpot and around partners. Like a lot of folks are looking to make that move, right? Uh, and so I think as you've kind of explained it, they're larger, they have more complex needs, potentially more of a complex tech stack. Uh, how does that change the way in which you would engage with these businesses, right? Either maybe in the sales process or as you're scoping your solution, like, yeah. you know, like, what does the actual interaction with these businesses look like? And is it different than how you would have more SMB mid-market type prospects? Yeah, absolutely. So when we moved up market, there were two things that became very clear very quickly. One is the complexity in the tech stack, which I mentioned. And what that really pushed us to do was broaden our focus of the tool. So it couldn't just be marketing and sales. We really needed to become experts in service, in operations hub, and in APIs in order to close the gap on that third-party integration piece, which is so critical to some of these larger companies. The second thing that we noticed was that they've all been burnt with big technology shifts before. So the message that was on every CTO's lips was, how are you going to assure me that this is going to work and that my teams are going to use it? Because yeah. I've been through this before, maybe with Salesforce, and I don't want to do that again. So how do you guys make sure that we are going to be A-OK -okay and that we're going to get our money back on this? You know, uh, by all accounts, a fair question, you know, especially if they have been burnt in the past, because as you can probably attest, it's it's a difficult thing to ensure the success of, certainly, yeah. right? Uh, big tech shifts and uh, ensuring adoption. Uh, and so maybe, you know, if you were to be asked that question today, uh, what's the answer and, and what's the approach to to mitigating that burn factor, if you will, you know what I mean? Yeah. And to be honest, this question comes up in every pitch that we do now. <laughs> um, so, you know, what I say to CTOs when they ask that question or when you sense that fear is 50% of the success of a migration to HubSpot is the implementation itself. 
making sure that it's done right for the people, making sure that it's built out for your team and for your processes where you are today and where you want to go. Yep. But the other 50% is what happens after the implementation. So we're talking post-implementation in adoption of the technology. And so that was a big shift for us as well, because it wasn't just about the doing anymore. It was about the doing and then the teaching and reinforcing and communicating and capturing for long term what those standard operating procedures were so that teams could scale their systems as they scaled their teams. Super interesting. Yeah, it's not about just doing. It's, uh, I think you said, doing to then teach, to then reinforce, right? Continued refinement of of all of the above. Um, How does that, how does that get scoped? What does that, what does that look like? How do you get your hands on, uh, you know, the, the materials, the assets, the processes to ensure the success for these businesses? Yeah. And I think what's really interesting is that that process is very similar to how you would have done in a marketing agency where you are coming in and doing deep discovery, understanding who they are as a company, where they are, where they want to go, what's under the hood of the softwares that they're using today, and what's the makeup of their team now and in the future. The post-implementation plan for adoption really determines... uh, The post-implementation plan for adoption is really determined by the size of the team, the location of the team, the the specific responsibilities of those team members. And so it's really important to understand that upfront because that way you can bake change management into the entire process from start to finish. How bespoke is your approach to change management for these businesses based on unique client requirements or how much of it is like uh, templatable or repurposable? I'm thinking about probably the effort for you and your team to like propose the right solution. What's the balance? There's a framework in place. So there is a repeatable framework that we can take to every business and we can follow. However, the way that we execute on that framework, just like as if I mean, think about inbound, right? The way that we executed on inbound is totally different for every team, but the framework is still in place. That's exactly how we are focusing on change management. So customizing the modules, if you will, for the team, but still within that consistent process that we have across all teams. That makes a ton of sense. Now, you know, I'd be remiss to not ask the question, what is the framework? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so during the very first portion of the implementation, it's really identifying that first cohort that's going to be your champions for HubSpot. Mm. So, and sometimes this happens even in the sales process, you'll identify those champions. Uh, but during the implementation process, it's really important to make sure that you know who those people are because they're going to guide the decisions that make a successful implementation. So that's really step one. During the discovery process, which would be step two, is really understanding the quick wins, the ways that you can roll HubSpot out and make an impact immediately. So while we are figuring out the foundational movement, we also want to make sure that we're building in those features that are going to make their team go, holy cow, this is awesome. I'm so glad that we moved to HubSpot. Yeah. Then during that build out process, right before you get to an actual rollout, you're definitely going to want to do some user acceptance testing. So it's so important for that cohort that you identified 
to make sure that they're test driving the systems, the processes, the automation that's in place. And what you're looking for is teasing out all of those gaps or the, the use cases that didn't come up in the original discovery to make sure that you're implementing properly. And then you get to launch. So pre-launch, you do training. Yep. Post-launch, that kicks off a whole nother part of the change management process, which is the iterative trainings and the iterative learning on the team's part, and potentially even training up a super admin for HubSpot for that team in-house. Hmm. Uh, so that's the part that looks different for every team, but that's where the pr you can see the framework is the same, yeah. but we might just change our, our approach a little bit. Um, uh, love the framework. And I get to your point too, how, Hey, it's, it's consistent regardless of engagement, but again, like how it actually manifests is going to be a little customized, a little different. Right. Uh, a couple of questions as you walked through the framework, obviously quick wins, I can, I can imagine the value and why you would want to emphasize and find quick wins. Uh, do you have any favorites? What's like the most effective quick win that you always circle on your plan, right? Like what's going to drive the most value from a quick win perspective in your eyes? So this definitely depends on the team and the hub and sure. the technology they're coming from. But if I were to pick some, some big ones, I think where HubSpot really stands out is the completion of the CRM around all of the individual tools. So building out and showing the team the ability to get a 360 degree view of the customer within HubSpot, whether that is showing sales, how deals connect to contacts and customers and that they can see the marketing activity on their record when they're talking to their prospect or for marketing, it's that full funnel effect of being able to loop back sales so that they can understand what their leads are doing. And for service, it's just simply being able to go back and see at a company level all the tickets and issues that they've had, which, by the way, seems like a no brainer, but that's what HubSpot <laughs> does really well. That's where I usually focus, where our team focuses the most in getting those quick wins. It's yeah. in the visibility and it's usually solving a huge pain for the client. Yeah, I like the, I mean, it could be perceived as the simplicity of it, but like we know that that's actually probably some of the, one of the strongest value propositions of that whole platform and the reason, you know, why that 360 view of the customer uh, manifests in the platform. That's great. Totally. I love that. And it sounds so, sounds like it resonates uh, with the businesses that you work with. Absolutely. Um, loved the note too about the user acceptance testing uh, piece of it. Uh, it's like, hey, we have to stress test what we've developed to make sure uh, that it operates as intended. We haven't missed the mark or there aren't any gaps in what we've scoped. Uh, based on your experiences, uh, what was like the biggest gap you've ever seen uh, appear from a user acceptance testing stage where you're like, man, that, that validates why we do that. So I can think of one big one that actually changed the way that we rolled out HubSpot for this particular client. And um, this was a service hub uh, rollout. Mm -hmm. And during the user acceptance testing, we came to find out that there was an entirely different group within the organization that nobody ever decided to bring into this process that actually interacted with the service team a lot. Hmm. I think it was something like implementation or um, services. And it was kind of a fringe group because it wasn't so involved with the customer service process, but they had a stake in what happened and how the process went. 
And so uh, luckily we caught that before we rolled out because it would have just broke their conveyor belt completely. And it also taught us as a group too, to ask about those fringe stakeholders up front to make sure that we are identifying those cohorts uh, pretty quickly in the beginning of the implementation. But um, yeah. those surprises do come out during user acceptance testing. And that's why we do it at, to your point to make sure that we are not missing those things before we roll. And it's a really interesting point too, that those types of situations as they unfold also inform the discovery process and the earlier conversations to be like, right. how do we get in front of those things? So we don't have to wait all the way uh, at that user testing stage to, to you know, uh, try and mitigate those risks. I love that. Exactly. Well, I think maybe last question about your framework, you'd mentioned towards the end when it's actually deployment and rollout and ongoing training and support and like really ensuring the adoption, right, of those users. You say oftentimes it can end up uh, by uh, building, you know, a super admin for that business in, in-house for them. Uh, is, that the, is that the ideal state for Origin 63? Does that, uh, like, does that end in, in them no longer needing you or your services? Is that also part of by design? Like, what are your thoughts and what's the friction or non-friction with, with having them be self-sufficient? Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't necessarily infringe on our ability to be able to service them long-term. What it does do is it sets up the organization and I'm thinking large organizations, like think about the ones that have a sales ops team that's working with regional sales teams around the globe. It is so important that they are enabled to work on the HubSpot platform and continue to run it day to day and to move the ball forward without us necessarily needing to be involved every single day. And that's where having a HubSpot admin being built up through our programs can be really beneficial. And then we can support with the larger initiatives. So when teams start to get really comfortable on HubSpot, oftentimes they want to change things and that's totally cool. Uh, So they might add more uh, automation or they might change up their workflows or processes. And that's where the admin can bring us back in. So I actually see it as a beneficial a relationship on both sides, right? Yeah. You have somebody internally that can do it and then we can come back in and do the larger builds that we'd love to do and can support that admin in continuing to grow their skills as well. You know, yeah, so really it's it's complementary and it's, you know, it mm-hmm. keeps you involved at the at the layer that you want to be involved in, maybe not the the day-to-day minutia that, you know, if there's a, an issue at the user level, uh, but you can still get involved with larger more strategic, bigger scale projects uh, within the system, right? Exactly. Maybe this is a silly question. I can't tell. Obviously, change management feels like such a critical component, especially as the platform uh, gets broader and deeper in functionality. The opportunities for customization and extensibility, we're plugging it into various complex tech stacks, right? Like all of these things are true and they demand really effective change management functions. Why is it so hard to do well, change management, right? Ooh, loaded question, right? Change management is a lot of different facets, but the core of change management is communication. And not to go into a whole philosophical conversation about, you know, the sociology of the workplace, but I think communication is one of the weakest, uh, the weakest skill sets in most workplaces for various reasons, right? I think that's what makes change management so difficult to understand at first, because you do have to understand the motivations of why somebody isn't adopting. 
And you have to be empathetic to that. And then you have to speak to it. And that's the part where the training comes in. Also during the beginning where you're telling people, hey, we're going to make this change because X, Y, and Z. And that's where the quick wins really come in into play. But at the end, it's really making sure that, that you understand their motivations for not wanting to adopt that fear or just the uh, reluctance because it makes them nervous, whatever it is. And mm -hmm. you have to speak to that. So doing change management right is not just implementation, like I said, but you also have to be ready to speak to people on that level. That makes sense. And just so you know, we can get philosophical at any at any time <laughs> on this podcast. This is a podcast that will embrace philosophy awesome. in that regard. Um, but I guess maybe a, a quick follow-up question, because I love the point that you made, uh, and you kind of alluded to it again there, is that, hey, listen, uh, implementation is only 50% of this puzzle. The other 50% is what happens after, right? And that's the change management piece to facilitate. When you're having conversations with prospective businesses for these types of engagements, um, is it a 50-50 split on uh, how you explain your process? This is what implementation looks like. This is what change management looks like. Uh, I guess maybe the shorter answer to the question is how prevalent is your change management methodology in these sorts of sales conversations, right? Yes, it's throughout. Uh, so when we discuss our process, change management is at the core of it. So we typically end up explaining how we do this. How do we implement? How do we train? How do we make sure that you can adopt through the lens of change management? And if we don't bring it up, CTOs will. Sure. So we've made sure that it's, yeah, exactly. We have made sure that it is part of all of the conversations that we have. And to be quite frank, it doesn't matter how big or small our project is, we're building change management in any way. It might sure. be on a smaller scale, like maybe we're just doing a, a little bit of an optimization with the sales team, but anytime there's change, we are making sure that we are communicating that piece and, and training on it. Yeah, regardless of scale and scope, it's the bedrock, right? It's a non-negotiable, it's a layer to this whole thing regardless, right? Right, right. Uh, how has this uh, impacted your business, hopefully positively, uh, from like a go-to-market perspective or revenue generation perspective? Are you selling more, selling bigger, retaining longer? Like what have been the downstream impacts for the business? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing is that this lens opened the door to working with larger companies being able to give assurance and to give a process behind that assurance for adoption and to be able to say that your teams are going to use this software and i know because gave us the ability to talk to larger companies with more complex challenges and through that it drives more value and then of course ends up being able to allow us to charge the higher market value rates right and I do feel that it has also elongated our engagements. Instead of just focusing, you know, two, three years ago on eight week implementations and okay, now we need to sell you whatever package continues after that. It's part of our entire process. So we usually end up working with clients for nine to 12 months during this process. And it's not all implementation. Some of it's just the adoption and training part, but it allows us to really go deep, get to know their business, build the foundation, roll it out, train their teams, make sure they're adopted, 
and then continue to find opportunities to either scale their software across more teams or more regions, or just to simply continue to evolve the software as their teams get comfortable with it. I love that. Well, first off, it sounds like, well, it unlocked the path to move up market. And it's like, you, you can't right. uh, be ready to get a seat at those up market tables if you're not prepared to have this conversation and what your strategy is and ensure the success from a change management element. Love that. But to your point too, I guess I hadn't considered that, you know, you have an eight week implementation and then, you know, the next step is to sell what the next package would be. And so now you're only coming in with a singular point of sale, but it's elongating the overall engagement, which has an immense amount of benefits. I love that. Correct. Correct. And it's not a retainer, right? Like we're not treating it like a marketing retainer where it's five or 10 K a month for these types of services, but it is enabling us to continue to drive the value that we're understanding the team needs in order to really go deep on HubSpot. Okay. Oh, that's great. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, first, I might ask you to frame just the team size of Origin 63, but I also feel that the perception out there is that technical consulting requires a large team to be able to deliver. Uh, do you feel that's the case? Uh, and I'd love whichever side of that fence you are, what the argument would be for it. I don't agree that you need a large team in order to deliver these types of services. What I found is that you just need to make sure you are building a really deep HubSpot knowledge within the team that you have. So to answer your question, we're eight full-timers, that's it. And what we have done to enable the ability to work on this type of business and to serve the size of the clients that we are is we make sure everyone on the team is building their HubSpot knowledge. So even our like executive assistants have HubSpot certifications. When we say go deep, we mean go deep and go wide too, as much as you can. But I think one of the major things is also figuring out what you want to focus on. Like what's your specialty? Um, In doing so, that's how you can keep your team small. And that's how you can ensure that you have that expertise on the HubSpot side to confidently take down the types of businesses that you want to take down. How would you define specialty? Service offering, verticalization, through what lens is specialty your recommendation? Yeah. So to answer that question, I'm going to go the opposite route first. So think about like (laughs) full service marketing agency. One of the challenges with scaling a full service marketing agency is that you need so many different types of talent within your organization. SEO, content writers, designers, developers, all those things. And um, that's where it's really difficult to keep your team small, I found. In the opposite, in what we're doing with technical consulting, I really only need my people who are organizing things, my people who are executing on the HubSpot side and my developers. And so those, you know, like, let's say three types of people that gave me the ability to continue to scale and continue to find the right people, but not have to continuously add headcount after headcount in order to expand our services. So when I say specialty, that's what I kind of mean is like, what are you doing? What are you providing for your clients? Uh, Are there specific use cases that you're like really good at? Are there specific verticals that you really understand and can solve their challenges? I think as the HubSpot ecosystem continues to grow with partners, 
that for all of us to continue to get a piece of the pie and to find the right fit, we do have to continue to refine the lens in which we provide services. Technical consulting might not even be enough of a lens here in the next year or two, because so many of us are switching over there, but um, that's how we're all going to win as a ecosystem as well, because there will be partners for every use case, for every vertical, et cetera. Yep. Yeah. I like the idea of just, uh, yeah, deep uh, or focus on what you want to be able to deliver and for who uh, allows you to create deep experts on how to do that. Uh, but it's also in consideration of scaling your team to the size and scale that it needs to without sacrificing the type of work that you want, right? right. So that's that's what unlocks that the balance that you would need. But again, to your point, uh, uh, being able to offer something like technical consulting or these types of engagements, it's not dependent on you know uh, significant growth in headcount, et cetera. Exactly. Exactly. You, you mentioned an interesting point there too. And we'll pull the thread for a minute. They go, like, hey, technical consulting right now is like that satisfies the criteria of specialty in the not so distant future. Maybe it won't as more folks try and find their piece. Uh, is that your read on how the ecosystem tends to evolve over time? Is it always kind of funneling your, your efforts into what the next layer of focus is? You know what I mean? Maybe that's not the best way to ask that, but you know, you get a sense of what I'm trying to ask. Yeah. I've been a HubSpot partner for eight years. And when we first joined, it was inbound all inbound, right? Funnel and uh, all of the, the pieces of the funnel and how you're going to market to those. And then eventually we started to add on sales hub and then we've started to add on service hub and then it became the flywheel, no longer the funnel. And I think the, the partners that have done really well in this ecosystem have been able to look one or two steps ahead of where HubSpot's pushing and have focused on building a business that's right for them, but aligned with where HubSpot's heading instead of where HubSpot is now. Yep. And so what I'm what I was saying with the technical consulting being maybe rare today, not rare in a year or two, is because we have been heading in that route for so long. And yep. the way you see that is in the products and the features that HubSpot's been rolling out the way that they are talking about the software, the way that they are marketing to larger teams, and even the way that they're selling based off of the pain points of other companies coming from other softwares. So if you pay attention to the subtleties in those messages, you start to see the patterns and you start to see that growing need. Yeah. So you can almost use HubSpot as a compass for how hmm. to grow your business. Yeah, I love that. And you know, honestly, I'm glad you framed it that way because that was a much better way to explain it than what I just tried to do. Uh, but it's like yeah, keeping an eye and maybe an ear out uh, yeah. as to where the ecosystem directionally is headed and how can you uh, hypothesize well enough to stay one step ahead of the things that are going to start to become a little more saturated over time as more folks start to make that same hypothesis. Yeah. And listening to your customers too. I, I shouldn't leave that out, right? Listening to your customers today and also the prospects that are your ideal and what language are they using? What pain points are they coming? Why are they interested in HubSpot and kind of connecting those dots to find those patterns? That's how you know what your differentiation should be and what specialty as an organization you should declare. Let them lead you 
hypothesize what it should be, but let them lead you and then align that to where HubSpot's going. And that's kind of been our recipe for success. I love that. Um, Now, Sam, one final question for you on change management, and then we'll get to the, well, this is the final, final question. And we'll wrap with one more, but to kind of put a bow on change management, if I'm a solutions partner tuning in today and I'm like, you know what? Uh, I am, I'm not so good at conveying my approach to change management or candidly, I don't talk about it enough. And I do, I would love to move up market and, and try and solve, try to solve some of these complex challenges. What are your recommendations for those folks? How can I better infuse change management into my conversations? How can I speak to it in a way that resonates with the CTO and the other folks that I'm, I'm hoping to pitch to? Now, any recommendations for folks in that category? Absolutely. I do think that there might be a certification coming later this year that could be really helpful. <laughs> great, uh, great seed plant. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yep. Great um, planting of the seed for me. But in in this gap where there might not be a certification available, we simply did the research, just read articles on change management, look outside of the HubSpot ecosystem and understand how other IT service providers are helping with this piece. How are consultants helping with this piece? Change management is massive, massive. And we're just looking at a small piece of it, right? We're looking at technology change management, really. So you can easily draw inspiration by just reading articles on change management. There's studies out there too about why implementations fail. Read all of those because that's what your CTOs are reading. And then you can piece together what you feel a framework would be based off what you do today and maybe just an extension of that. And it'll continue to evolve over time. Yeah, that's a great tip. What's the number one reason why implementations tend to fail? Adoption. Yeah. Yeah, adoption. Online user adoption. All right, final question. We'll wrap here because I know we're pushing on time. What would you say is the strangest part of agency life? The strangest part. <laughs> being, being a part of an organization that services for people and is also tied to a third-party software like HubSpot, I think the strangest part is just how fast it all moves. <laughs> like <laughs> Sometimes we look back and we're like, wait, it's April or it's, you know, what, what day is it? Uh, You're in a a wind tunnel of information and you just have to keep going forward and dealing with all the information that you have and finding the path. So if I were to call it down, I think the strangest part of being a consulting company or an agency is simply the speed in which you evolve and adapt and the necessity for which you need to evolve and adapt. I don't think that happens in very many business models, but for all of us, it's like every three months we're reinventing what we do. Uh, Hyperspeed. Yeah. Love the note. Uh, That's a great, yeah. Fairly strange. And also the, the underlying note there too, it's not even just the speed, but it's the necessity in which you must embrace that change. I think that's that's such a uh, helpful nugget there too. Absolutely. To tell you. Yeah. But that's what makes it so fun. <laughs> yeah. Super strange, but you know, for the right folks, super fun. Right. Yeah. And you know what you signed up for hopefully. Um, well, Sam, thanks so much. That was uh, super insightful. Uh, loved hearing about kind of your approaches here, technical consulting, change management, especially some reflections on kind of navigating and, and predicting the future of the partner program. So uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. It was fun. And for everybody that has tuned in today, this has been another episode of Agency Unfiltered.